Okay, with that, let's pray, and um, we'll pray for this, this lady as well. She's, by the way, she's only 45, and so um, pretty tough situation for her. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We do thank you for the, the beautiful snow this morning. It is beautiful to look at, and we thank you for the safety that you've given us to get here to be able to worship collectively together. We pray for this young woman with children and family who is just 45 that... Uh, has cancer and uh, difficult, but yet we know that she knows you. And even in this situation in her life and where she's at, she wants to be able to proclaim your name. Unable to do that this morning to her family, and I do pray that you're glorified. I know that you will be. Your will will be done, but that uh, she is able to use her platform of cancer uh, to proclaim your name to her family, to the doctors, to those who are specialists that are dealing with her and her sickness. And we do pray for a healing if that, if that be your will. We know that it's easy for you to do, but uh, we yield to your will. So we thank you that we were uh, able to even know about her and uh, just through Kirby and to be able to pray for her, a fellow believer in Christ. And as we consider that this morning in Philippians and considering fellow believers in Christ, I pray that this morning we're encouraged to encourage one another, that we're that we're uh, challenged to be reasonable, for, to be joyful, to be thankful, and to help one another do that in relationship. So be with us as we open up your word. We thank you for it. It's so rich, and it's so good, and it's beneficial to us in our daily lives. We know that to be true. We look forward to the moment where we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. We are starting chapter 4. We are going to end the series here in just a few weeks, just uh, three weeks left of this series, and it's been a good one. In this city of ancient Philippi that we see on the screen here, imagine, I mean, it's what they think it looked like. Imagine how close of a society that was. We think of Plainfield or the town that you're from or even greater Indianapolis and how spread out we are. Imagine living in a town or a city or some sort of a whoops some sort of a dwelling that is that tight you know everybody knows everybody don't they i mean that is real clear i grew up in a small town moments illinois but i grew up 7 miles out of town so they didn't know what we were doing they knew we would bring grain into the elevator every so often until we got into church you know and then it's a very small community many of you know that how that would be but you can imagine also then the challenges of living in and amongst others, non-believers and believers alike, in a community that's small, and some of the issues that may come up. And that's going to be a little bit of the theme of what we see today. And I just want to remind you that um, what we're called to be as believers is definitely reasonable. We'll look at that Greek word, and thankful, but to keep our focus on what we're all about, what we're here for, what we're here to do or accomplish, but what we also have in store for us. So turn to Philippians chapter 4, just kind of here's the general outline for today. We're going to look at standing firm, and it's a therefore, and I love this therefore because it lets me go back a verse, and I was so thrilled to go back a verse because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So we're going to look at what the therefore is therefore, and then these two women, very interesting little situation here between Iota and Seneki. These two women, we only hear of them right here, and we know nothing of them. We'll try to get a, maybe a potential background for them, and maybe what they were going through. There was a conflict, some sort of a disagreement that doesn't seem to be theological, and um, we're going to discuss that. And then the transition Paul makes to being joyful and reasonable in our relationships, in the way we handle ourselves, in and amongst one another, and then 
kind of tying all of that into what is so common today, anxiety. And um, I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time on that, honestly. I hope that we understand the formula today, but we're going to go over the formula. It's very clear in Scripture what we're to do when we're anxious, what we're to do when, in, in our day and age, we, they talk about mental health a lot. Um, it's one of these, we hear this in education so much, and yet I, I, I just desire for that next generation who focuses on that to just di- dive into this. This is, this is our answer for mental health or anxiety or difficulty. We all have it. So anyway, we know what that is, and we'll, we'll end with that. So that's kind of where we're going today. It's a lot to cover, but I think we're going to be able to manage it. So it says in chapter, well, let's look at this. Let's read it actually through, and then we'll see what this might mean. So take a look at chapter 4, verse 1. I'll read through verse 7. But then we're going to focus on verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Sinatich to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's our text for today. So much in there, but i got to tell you, It's good to read this particular passage in the context of the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, rather than just pick, we know that verse so well, that's 7 and 8, or excuse me, 6 and 7 and 8, really, so well, it's good to see it in context, so I think that's going to be beneficial for all of us this morning. So let's refocus on verse 1. It says this, and I've got the NASB up there as well, it says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Notice what it says in the NASB. In this way, stand firm. In this way, or stand firm thus. So we've got to know what the therefore is there for, and we need to know in what way, in, in how. What's the thus? Go back to chapter 3 and remind ourselves of what Zach did a great job with last week, of what we're supposed to keep our focus on. Take a look here in verse 20. So this is last week, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Just look backwards in your, in your Bible. Here's what Paul tells them. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Imagine if you didn't have those two verses and you just jumped into chapter 4. We're going to stand firm on what? If if this is where it starts. Well, he tells us what to stand firm on, our incredible blessed hope. That's amazing. If we just pass through this and and we don't really think about it, we don't really consider it, it doesn't give you the, 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 the firm foundation that he's talking about here. Standing firm on what is coming for you, what you really are, the citizenship that you truly do hold. It's really easy. We've talked about this. The elders and, and I and others have talked about how you can really get into a rut of watching the news and focused on what's going on around us all the time. 
And it's a real ditch that can get you into a bad place mentally. It really can. We can all do it. You start listening to the pundits, even the ones you agree with, and it becomes depressing. But we forget where our citizenship is from, and we forget what's coming. The same thing can happen as if we focus on our ails and our troubles and our issues and our physical condition as we get older, the aches and pains we didn't used to have. We forget that this lowly body is the one we have now is nothing compared to the glorious body that is coming. It's a good thing to remind us of. If we don't remember that, we are not going to be able to focus very well on what we're standing firm on. Paul intentionally is telling us, and keep this, keep this in mind, in light of what we're going to look at today, the hope that we have is the driving force. And the hope we have is not in ourselves, it's because of what Christ has done. In light of the difficulties or even relational issues that we may have, I'm sure none of you would have any relational issues with me, but you amongst yourselves may have some issues. In light of eternity, they are really faint. They, they are really unimportant comparatively. And, and when we consider it that way, it helps. So a reminder what we looked at last week. Here's what we saw. Beloved, believer, we are God's children now, right now. We're believers together, collectively. Now, he's chosen us now. We're believers now, redeemed now. But then he says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. It's awesome now to be a follower of Christ. It's going to be even better. And I will say that it's not just the pains and the sufferings and the issues, but the fact that you will not have a sin nature anymore. And you think about the relationships we'll have in eternity when you're not sinning against somebody and they're not sinning against you. When there's no selfish ambition involved in any of the things that we do. Can you imagine? Now, we should be pursuing that today. That's now. But imagine what's coming. But we know that when he appears, Jesus appears, we shall be like him. Sinless in that regard. Perfected, glorified because of him. Because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes, same concept here. We think about this hope purifies himself as he is pure. It helps us stand in what we should be doing. You see that connection? John makes this connection. So does Paul. This is what our establishment is. We know what we're looking forward to. We know what's coming our way. And that's what John, that's what Paul is talking about. So this rapture of the church, I won't spend time going to 1 Corinthians, and, and I sure would love to, and 1 Thessalonians 4, but these promises are good to remind yourself of to reread these passages about this moment at that twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, when the dead in Christ will rise first and we who remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. These passages are incredible, and they started with the promise of Christ. So remember, we're, we're, we're standing in this hope, the hope that Christ initially gave us, and he tells us the reason he told his apostles in that upper room discourse in John 14 is they were struggling that night, and of, of course they would be. He had already told them multiple times he was going to be handed over to the Romans. He'd told them multiple times that things were going to get difficult. He'd already told them to go buy a sword, and I'm sure that got their head running into all kinds of directions, certainly Peter's. Okay? They were troubled at heart, and he says, no, no, don't let your heart be troubled. This was an encouragement to them so they could stand thus in this. And he tells them in this encouragement that he's going to come back and get us. That this is something we encourage one another with. That's exactly what we see in 1 Corinthians, and we see this in 1 Thessalonians as well. If you think of 1 Thessalonians 4.18, it says, Therefore, after the rapture passages, and this could happen at any moment, any moment, 
Last week I said it would be beautiful with the sunrise. Today it would have been beautiful with the snow. It would be beautiful if it was 100 degrees. It would be beautiful any moment in time that the Lord comes to take us to be with him. And he says, encourage one another with these words. This is an encouragement. This is what we should be doing. Here's what Lutzer says about this moment. I heard him do a sermon, actually. It was on, a, it was on Easter Sunday. And we were in Chicago at, at Moody Church. And he quoted, he, he made reference to the rapture. And I tried to find that particular quote. I found this in one of his books. And it's close. It's similar. He, he tries to give us a visual. Imagine you're having a typical day at home or at the office or driving in in a snowstorm. And then without warning, you're in the presence of Christ. Just try to put yourself in that spot. You have a new body. You're in an entirely different realm of existence. Jesus is beside you. Friends who have died and gone on to heaven are there. You find yourself mingling with innumerable hosts of people, all suspended in midair. You're reunited with your mother. I mentioned that my mother passed away two years ago last Sunday. My father, five and a half years ago. Father and friends long since forgotten. But the focus is on your leader, your Savior, King Jesus, who returned as he promised. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What an incredible thought, and that, that is a reality for the believer. We stand thus firm in this. And I think it's kind of relevant that you may struggle with the daily things and the daily activities and sometimes relationships, and you need to be reminded of it. It's interesting that church in Thessalonica who heard the rapture message that's so, so clear and encourage one another with these things, by the time he gets to writing 2 Thessalonians, he has to talk them off the ledge. If you know anything about that particular book, and I don't have time to unpack it, someone had sent them a false letter from Paul that said, oh, you guys missed it. The rapture's already happened, and the day of the Lord is here. And they're panicked, and they're upset, and they're discouraged. And this is what Paul says to them in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, as he's telling them, no, that's not how it is. He says this, right after talking about essentially what the tribulation's going to bring, which is the Antichrist and terrible times of trouble and issues and all kinds of things that, that don't happen until the restrainer is removed, then he follows it with this, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Remember, this is encouragement. He comes right back to encouragement. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to this he called you through our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the rapture. That's when we're glorified, the resurrection. So then, brothers, notice this one more time. Stand firm. Every time he does this, right? Reminding ourselves of the hope that we have, what Christ is going to do, what he is going to do to us, we stand firm in it. And then we hold to the traditions that you were taught, God's word, by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So an incredible connection every time to the rapture. And it, I, I'm flustered by Christians who say, I don't want to talk about that. I say, Why wouldn't you want to talk about that? Why wouldn't you want to discuss that? This is the driving force of, of our mind of thinking that all things are going to be made new. This is going to happen for the believer. It's a promise you should embrace. And then just a transition into this next verse. Philippians 1, if you're in Philippians still, you can go back to chapter 1. I want you to remind yourself of what we learned months ago, of what Paul said. And he talked about this with regard to relationship. So standing firm in our hope and our promise, but look at Philippians 1.27. I've got it up on the screen if you're not in your Bibles, but it says, 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is a great transition for us. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. Once again, we see that same, same phrase. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So in the meantime, our great hope is this reunion with, with loved ones, seeing Christ face to face, face, having the glorified body, not being a sinner anymore, not struggling with the sin nature anymore. But in the meantime, we are to work side by side for the gospel because what drives us, that, that incredible hope that we have, we need to have that desperation for the people around us. That they need that good news too, that incredible good news. So back to Philippians chapter 4 again. So flip back to 4. Here's what it says in 2 and 3. I'll bring this up. These two women that are just mentioned here, Iota and Syntyche, here's what it says. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored, labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. And we'll get to the book of life part here in just a moment. Now, before we get to Iodia and Syntyche, the word companion here is kind of interesting. So I'll bring this up. This word companion, it's only used here. Now, there is a derivative, a, a kind of a, a similar Greek word that's used in Philemon. Philemon 111, if you, if you want to see it. And that's used a little bit different. It's a descriptive word. Here, it is a word that is sometimes a proper name, and then sometimes it is a, um, it's, uh, a description of somebody. And so in the Greek, this is Sudzigus. And some people, can you imagine having your name be Sudzigus? But that's exactly, that's exactly how it sounds, at least from my you know, American hick way of translating the Greek. But that's what his name is. Some people think it's a proper name. That's his actual name. Others say it's a description of a man. It stands to reason that it's a proper name because he's naming a lot of other people. Okay, you have the two women, you have Clement, and then you have this true companion that he mentions that's someone entirely separate. Now, it's hard to say. It could go either way. Maybe it's a description of this man, and then later on the tradition of that that is his name. But it is uniquely used here, so just letting you know. But it's a, the reason I bring this up is he's bringing up an individual that he feels should go and get side by side with them, to be in relationship with them, to encourage them. I've told my students this a lot, who, and I have to encourage them a lot, because many of my students and their families don't go to church anymore. It's just, it's a sad state of affairs, honestly, in, in modern Christendom. People are watching church on TV, or it's probably not even TV, it's probably on their phone, or on their device, and that's not church so being side-by-side, side, encouraging one another, the Hebrews 10 concept of stirring one another up to love and good deeds, that's what I think the encouragement here is. And he's telling this man, I need you to help. I'm not there, and I need you to help. Encourage them, help them come along. Now, it says that they don't agree. We have no idea what this disagreement's about. It seems, though, as though, because Paul doesn't deal with any sort of doctrine here, that it's probably a frivolous disagreement. That's, most commentaries say that. It's hard to say for sure. No one knows. He is not dealing with something, some specific heresy that one thinks and the other one doesn't or something like that. It's some sort of disagreement. 
And what's kind of, it's, it's typical about this is they seem to be at one, of, of one accord at one time or another. Uh, where we think these women maybe originated from is all the way back to Acts 16. I took you there before. If you feel like turning there, you can. I've got the entire text on the screen. It's up to you. But this is when Paul first comes here to Philippi, and he encounters these women. Now, you might remember that this is um, where we first introduced Lydia. So I talked about this months ago when we first got into the book of Philippians, but I have a feeling these two women are here. Here's what the text says. So if you're there, great. If not, it's right up on the screen. From there to Philippi, so Paul's journey here, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Now remember, I'll just very briefly remind you, the reason they go to the, to the riverbank is because this city didn't have enough um, Jewish men who were, of, who were leading and who were, who were God-fearing men. They didn't have enough to have a place of worship. So when they didn't have a place of worship, a synagogue, they would meet by the river. So they, he knew that going in. And this is another kind of an idea that there weren't enough men who were spiritually leading because he encounters women here. Anyway, they went to the, to the gate, to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. We don't know of any men that were there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple of goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So most theologians think there were other women there. It's very, very possible these are the two. These are at least two of them. So it seems like they were unified, again, with Lydia. Now, we don't know that for sure. There's no way to know for sure. They're only mentioned here, but they were unified in the gospel of Christ, as he mentioned here. So going forward here, there is a, another phrase. There is a phrase, and it's, it's in Greek, this is autophroneo, and that's agree in the Lord. Now, we see this in a few different places. As a matter of fact, we're going to see a very broad term that we see in about 52 different places with regards to this. But Paul is using this phrase so that they will be like-minded on what matters the most. Let me repeat that. That they'll be like-minded about what matters the most. There are times where we allow things, we all do this, and before I even get into this, there are times, by the way, according to 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, where divisions are necessary. Uh, we've discussed that before. There are times where that has to happen. And uh, that happens within the church. Paul says that it's a good thing at times. But there are other times where we allow very frivolous and meaningless things to get in the way of our ministry together. And ministry is always together. So Paul puts a focus on like-mindedness about what matters most. So he urges the believers there to be unified in order for them to work together for the work of the Lord. Okay? And what I've kind of looked at here, and as I started looking at passages, pastor's been good about helping me out to try to not have too many passages, and um, that's not easy for me to do, but I'm working on it. I broke this down, and I had to eliminate several of them, but I broke it down into four different things that I think are good reminders for us, as you see on the screen, for why we should agree in the Lord, okay? There are so many passages and I, I'll, I'll show you how many in a moment. This will kind of allow me to get rid of some of these passages that I won't use. And you'll see this graphic that I'm going to show about doing things with one another, for one another, for the sake of one another. We're going to see that. 
But I've kind of broken down at least four points that I think will help us going forward. Because we don't know what their issue was, I think that's kind of good. Because we're going to have all kinds of issues. There's going to be all kinds of things that pop up. Things that I will annoy you with, you'll annoy me with, and we still have to love one another and do the work of the Lord, and that's what we're going to see. So the first one, do the job of the believer. God handles the vengeance. Okay, You might think somebody deserves some vengeance. That's not on you. That's on the Lord. Let him sort that out. You do your job, and we'll look at that. Believers should have one voice. Our voice, our purpose, what we were made for, as all creation was made for, is to glorify the Lord. Okay, So we need to remind ourselves of that. These are all passages about unity and why we are unified. Believers serve others. That's our focus, not ourselves, and that's hard. And then finally, believers do all things in the name of the Lord, including relationships. So I've limited myself to those four. Here we go. Romans 12, if you want to, the first two are in Romans. If you feel like going there, it's a long passage. If you can't see that very well, we can take a look at this. This is a command from God that he uses, and he is telling us through the Apostle Paul. But in Romans 12, I won't spend too much time on each one of these, Okay, but this is what it says. Live in harmony with one another. Believers, all of these are to believers. Don't be haughty. You don't think yourself of yourself higher than you ought, be, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Boy, that's a phrase that we should all memorize. If possible. Now, I think that's a qualifier, isn't it? Sometimes it's not possible, is what that means. But as far as it depends on you, we need to be living peaceably with all. Especially, in particular, fellow believers. Remember, vengeance, getting their due, justice, that's in God's hands. Notice he says this again in verse 19. Beloved, believer, never avenge yourself. Leave it, to, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. This can be within the church. This could be within the church. No, notice he's talking to the beloved. He's talking to believers. And so when we're considering this, you do your job. And your job is as far as it goes with you, is you're to be at peace with all men. So right off the bat, we got to know our role. And our role isn't to make sure things are equal and, and set and they get theirs. That's what I want to do a lot. I think about that a lot at times. I want to make, no, that's not my job. My job is to just follow the Lord, serve others, serve the Lord, proclaim the gospel, be unified in the faith. All right, so that's number one. Number two, one voice to glorify the Lord. A little further in Romans, Romans 15. 4 through 6, we see whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture we might have hope. We've talked about that this morning. Paul has already reminded us, remind, he's reminded these, the church in Philippi. He has reminded this church now in Rome. He's reminded the church in Thessalonica. We've looked at all of these. Remember what we've taught you about the Scriptures and our hope. I just love the fluidity of Scripture. I'm sure you do too. Then he says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Notice why. Look at this. That together you may have one voice glorifying or to glorify the Lord or glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of unification, remember what Christ said, that the world will know that you're mine 
by your love for one another. That brings glory to the Lord, and that's our purpose here. So that's number two. Number one, vengeance has got nothing to do with our business. Glory of the Lord has got everything to do with our business. And then number three on this, my third passage for this, is that we're called to serve others. Now, I snuck in two, as you can see, but I just snuck it in. Here's what it says. Philippians 2, earlier in our study in Philippians, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. He's really restating this point where we were in in chapter 4 today. He's restating a point that he had just made in a letter that was read to them in one setting. So he's coming back around to almost the same phrase. And the idea is, the whole concept is, we're serving the people around us and not ourselves. That's a really tough concept. 2 Corinthians 13, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We are here to be with one another. And we're going to talk about these one another's here in just a moment. One more, and I want you to turn to this one. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'll take a drink while you do that. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. What a great passage this is for unification, for us to stay focused But I want you to consider, we oftentimes take the end of this passage. This is another one where I've done it myself. We pick this out, and it's true to do this, by the way. And I'll just read it right off the bat. Verse 17, where we're going to end, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can you pick that out and apply it to everything? Yes, because it says, whatever you do in word or deed. So, of course, we do that in... There's no problem with that. But context drives things, and the context is relationship, which is kind of interesting. Usually we look at this passage, and it's whatever we're working at and whatever we're doing, and it's still true. We do that, and we should do that. But look at the context. Here's what it says. Put on, then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is really relational, as you can see. And above all these, put on love. This is the connecting force of all of them, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let me stop right there. As we're reading this, and then as we continue down Philippians 4 today, it's a very close passage. You know what we've already read, and notice it's harmony, getting along with one another, with the focus being the gospel and us side by side in it. But notice this perfect harmony leads to peace, right? The peace of Christ, and the fact that you're thankful. And and we're going to read that again in Philippians 4. We've already read it, but as we go forward... It's a very similar message he's giving to this church as he's giving to the church in Philippi and he's giving to the church in Plainfield this morning. It's a very similar passage because it's consistent. Back to the text. So back to the text. So we're thankful. Then he says, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right back to the word of God. That's the focus. 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Then he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Puts a different spin on that, because we know that he's saying the things you do in relationship, you do those things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. How you handle one another in conflict, you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Is it your job? Yep. Is it how you approach um, parenting and grandparent? Yes. Is it how you handle money? Yes. Is it what you do in your spare time? Yep. But context says it's relationship within a church. You do all of those deeds. Whatever you say and do in relationship is to the glory of the Lord. It's pretty cool when you look at it in context like that. So anyway, that's Colossians 3. And I think when we consider this, Paul puts this therefore in here on purpose. Okay? We, we need to remember, in light of what Christ has done, put, then, put on then, he says, in verse 12 where we started, that's a therefore as well, kind of. Considering what Christ has done, we then react and interact with one another in that fashion. Cool stuff. All right, here's that graphic I told you about. There are technically about 52, I think there's 42 up here, somebody can count them, maybe it's more or less than that. There's about 52s that have that phrase, the things that we do with one another. I found this graphic, I just thought it was kind of neat. Does it take a quick look at this? I didn't go through all of these passages, you're welcome. But this is a cool little graphic to kind of look at all these one another's. There's such an, a focus on us, focusing on others and not ourselves. We do this with one another. You do this for one another. Uh, it's, it's really a, incredible how God created us. And of course, think about how we started today. We're going to spend eternity with one another. So you better get used to it. Yeah, one another. Of course, we'll be sinless then, but one another is a real focus. Okay, so hopefully you've taken in all of that. This will be online if you want to take a look at that graphic later on too. All right, the second part of that verse B, it said, whose names are written in the book of life. I'm going to give you the passages. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but this is also an encouragement. Paul comes back to this. I'd say this is a double down too. He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the resurrection, the glorification, and then the fact that your name is written in the book of life, which happened before the creation of the world. What a God you have. Incredible. Takes you a little bit out of that and your maybe whatever arrogance you might have been bringing to the table. When, you, when you're reminded about this, it's, it's pretty incredible. Now, I don't have time to go to all of the passages. I think the first time we see a reference to it in part, we see it a few times in the Psalms. We also see it in Daniel. Daniel 7, which I thought about taking you there, but we just don't have time. This is the incredible kind of epic scene that we see with the, the Ancient of Days handing authority to the Son of Man. And in that scene, and I just wish we had some time, we could probably do an entire lesson on the book of life, we see these books opened. The book of deeds, potentially, of, of, of what people have done, but certainly the book of life as well. This is all happening in this uh, giving authority to the Son of Man, and of course we can connect that also to Revelation, which we'll look at today very briefly. But we also see in Daniel, he's saying this a little later in Daniel 12, talking about the end of things, the end of days. At this time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. This is speaking of Israel. And there shall be time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. Time of Jacob's trouble is the tribulation period. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Who's going to be delivered? Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Incredible. That's to the, 
the nation of Israel, but that's to, to, to believers as well. We see the same thing in Malachi very briefly, and I brought up just this brief passage. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance, most people think it's the same book, was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. That's probably the book of life. Going forward into the New Testament, Luke 10, 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this about some sort of incredible deed or some sort of a miracle or what Christ was doing that dazzled the the crowds or the, the abilities that the apostles had or maybe the abilities you have, but that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The apostles were getting pretty stoked that they could extract demons from people. They thought, this is amazing. He says, that's not what's cool. The, the, what's cool is that you're saved, that you're redeemed. And look at Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on earth will worship, worship it, the beast, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. This has been set in stone for a long time. And then the culminating passage is Revelation 20. Not going to look at it, but you know, you see in red, these two, these two books, the book of deeds and the book of life. You know which one you want to be in. But just think about this. The people who are also working together with you have also been etched in the book of life before the foundation of the world. So God in his providence put the believer next to you on your right and the next to you on your left and etched their names in the book of life too. Uh, you're not better than they are. They're not better than you are. God has a plan for both of you to work together in unity. Okay, moving forward. Joy and reasonableness. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. So back to Philippians. I'll bring this up on the, on the, uh, the screen. 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. This is another one we take out of context, but we really can't. Okay, you can take it out, but you really can't because, once again, we have an always. So that kind of means always, all the time. And I thought, well, all right, there's so many passages about this, the, the rejoicing always in relationships, out of relationship, in hard times, out of hard times. I'm going to try to find a real severe one. So I went back to the Old Testament, to Habakkuk, and we never go to Habakkuk. So we're going to go to Habakkuk this morning. And we have an extreme example of when it's hard to rejoice. And I want you to consider this. When Habakkuk is writing, and I'll bring it up on the screen here in a moment, when Habakkuk is writing what we're about to read, there's a transition happening. The Assyrians who have already wiped out the nation of Israel, Judah is left, but they were left in shambles by the Assyrians as well, miraculously saved. But now there's a transition into the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Um, And not quite Nebuchadnezzar, but his father and the trouble's coming, and the prediction of of Judah's fall has already happened, and he's part of these prophecies, and he knows what's coming. I I love the the way that that Old Testament prophets view, and we should view prophecy this way. They look at prophecy that may be future, and they tremble at it as they read it because they know it's a reality. It's a reality to them, even though it's not happening amongst them. Uh, Habakkuk 3.16 tells us that they trembled, he trembled at God's judgment that was coming. I'm going to pick it up at 17, though, but look at what he says. This is some severe stuff, not necessarily relational, but severe things, and look at his reaction. This is Habakkuk's reaction. This should be yours. Though the fig tree should not blossom, certainly there's a connection to Israel there, but we'll get into that right now, nor fruit beyond the vines, the the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Pretty bad stuff. 
especially if you're a farmer. If you're not a farmer, maybe you can't connect. But just imagine, you've got nothing left. Yet, what does he say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's a real key. The God of my salvation. It's kind of important to understand the name of Christ. I just shared this with my seniors as we're going through prophecies for their, uh, their class about apologetics. The name Yeshua is Yahweh is our salvation. We know of Emmanuel, God with us. But it's more than that. He's with us and he brings salvation. You rejoice in the fact of who you are because of who you are, because of what he did, rather. Uh, that's why you are what you are. Here's what Begg says about it. Alistair Begg says this about the passage. Everything in the realm of feelings pointed Habakkuk towards panic. But instead of succumbing to anxiety, he made his feelings yield to what he knew of his provider. Great line. He, I'm going to say it again. He made his feelings yield to what he knew of his provider. On the strength of right thinking, Habakkuk concluded, and I'll read it again, Though the fig tree should not b- blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Here's what he says. He demonstrates that it is possible to rejoice always, even in the midst of deep trial and deep pain, maybe even relational pain. This is an extreme, but sometimes our relational issues can be difficult. When our joy does not depend on external factors, but on God alone. And to the passage, on the God of our salvation alone. On Yeshua alone. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thing to consider, really. And then the second part of this, verse 5, it says, Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Some think that the Lord is near is what this means. The Lord is near right here. The Lord is at hand. I think he's talking about the return of Christ. Contextually, that's where we started. I think, think about this. Your time is short. Your reasonableness should be evident. What that word means is gentle spirit. This is somebody who is easy to get along with. You're moderate. You're, con- you're, you're, um, you're somebody who wants to be a peacemaker. You're, you're somebody who, as far as it depends on you, you're at peace with all people. You don't return evil for evil. This goes back to all those passages we looked at. You seek to give mercy and leniency to the people around you, in particular the believer. Okay? So that's what we see here. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, right after, the, right after the rapture passage, notice he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's reasonableness. In light of the rapture, which is chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, okay, chapter 5, he says, we urge you to admonish the idol, encourage one another. That's what you do in relationship. We don't repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good. And notice, rejoice always. Is it kind of wild that he writes the same in every one of these churches? To, seems like they all have the same problems. They're relational issues sometimes. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. So he really hammers us with it. Now let's close the show. We have a formula, and I told you, we aren't going to spend too much time with this because I think we've preached on this quite a bit. Anxiety to peace, from anxiety to peace. So I'm down to a couple minutes. From anxiety to peace. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this. Don't be anxious about anything. This is so similar to what we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this incredible formula of what we do 
And consider, this is in the context of relationship issues. That can cause a lot of anxiety. might be within a home. It might be within a church. It might be at, at, at your place of business. Contextually, it can, it can be other things, but it's, it's probably relationship. You're supposed to take it to the Lord in prayer. And, and we do that with a thankful heart. Why are we thankful? Because of what our foundation was. Remember what the therefore was there for? We're thankful because we know the end. We're thankful because he's the God of our salvation. We're thankful because we know he's going to give us a peace that surpasses all understanding because he's a God of promises and he's a promise keeper. And that's what we see. We let our requests be made known to God. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. Apart from other things, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He uses the same word, and sometimes, the reason I bring this up, your anxiety might not even be a sin. It might be like you have a burden. So that same word is used here as a burden that Paul has. And the reason I bring this up, and we don't have time to look at what Christ said here, but here's what we see, and this is kind of an interesting thing. Francis Chan makes a connection between maybe a good burden and a bad burden. And let me read this, and we'll kind of end with this. And I just knew I wouldn't have time to get into this too far. The problem of anxiety doesn't mean we live unconcerned, disappointed lives, or dispassionate lives, excuse me. Indeed, some worry is positive. The good anxiety calls us to perform our responsibilities. And I think in context, we got responsibilities to do together. Perform our responsibilities. Negative worry is different. He says, I remember hearing John Ortberg, a sermon in which he described worry as carrying around an alarm clock all day. Yeah, it's kind of what it's like. Can you imagine what kind of day that would be? Maybe you live like that. Do you live with self-defeating, persistent thought filled with worry? This type of anxiety, which Jesus and Paul talk about as a sin, and we didn't talk about Jesus at Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew 6, but read that this week. This form of worry is pagan. It's pagan. It could be called functional atheism because you're living as, as though God doesn't exist as if he's not the all-sovereign ruler over all. So yes, a burden for the lost and for your job, that's good. That's good. Paul has that sort of anxiety. But a burden for things that you know are outside of your hands, a burden for things, and maybe, again, relationship, we need to leave that in the hands of the Lord. And we do that by be diligently taking it to him. Now, we are out of time. But where I wanted to end today was, and I'm going to have you read this. I'm going to bring it up. I'm not going to read it out loud, but I, I'm going to have you read this this week. Just, it's like a homework assignment, and I'm going to be teaching next week, so I'm going to ask you. Psalm 33, you read that in light of whatever issue you've got. So write down Psalm 33. Read, you can read the whole passage. 13 through 22, though, gives us an incredible synopsis of who's in control, what we do with our worry. If you read this in conjunction with Matthew 6, And I think that will help us to have a better understanding of the sovereignty of God, that he not only holds our future, he holds our present, and his will is what he wants to accomplish. He wants to accomplish it through you and the people around you. But Psalm 33, this incredible passage about the sovereignty, power, might, and control that God has, and his concern and his love for those who fear him. And I pray that's you today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this incredible passage and so much in it, so much to study. Uh, We know what we're called to do. I pray that our hearts are changed by your word today, that you help us as we go into hour number two and we continue to hear your word preached.
we know that these things are all profitable for us, uh, but we also know that relationships are difficult. Considering we're sinners and the people around us are sinners and we are not yet glorified on this side of eternity, we're going to have some issues. But we praise your name that you've given us instruction on how to handle that. I pray that our focus this week will be your word, your gospel, that we do that together in unity, that we look for opportunities to proclaim your name and give you glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.